It's time for another episode of BuddyCast. I am here with my great buddy, who is a tremendous actor. You might know him from if you've seen Seinfeld, um, if you've ever seen Mickey Abbott. And he is, in, he's, like I said, he's an incredible actor. And he's actually an advocate for disabilities. My good friend, Danny Woodburn. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm good, Nick. How's it going? Going great. Glad to have you on the show. Yeah. So let me start off by asking, how'd you get into acting? Well, um, it's interesting. I, I guess growing up, I was very into like listening to comedians on record players. Back then, we had record players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, staying up late to watch um, you know, Johnny Carson and watching my favorite comics on that show. And then I was raised by a single mom. So the television back in the 70s and 80s was... Uh, a, a big babysitter <laughs> back then. So, you know, I was a movie buff. I went to movies all the time. I mean, that was a, it was a staple of my family's social life was going to film. So all of that uh, sort of put, put the bug in me, I guess. Nice. Yeah. Nice. How about, um, speaking of acting, how did you, fi- how did you find the role of si- on Seinfeld? Oh, it was, um, I had auditioned for it for, um, First for an assistant, and then for the casting director, and then for uh, executive producers, and for Jerry and uh, and Larry David. So it was um it was a process. It was a long process. It was a lot of competition, and uh, took a couple of days. But I was uh, you know lucky enough to be chosen on the day, and then on the day we actually went straight to work, which is kind of unheard of, to you know from the audition get selected and then go to what's called a table read. We would, mm-hmm. All the actors would sit around the table and, and read the script from, you know, for the first day of work. And, uh, you know, so the writers and the producers could get a, a sense of how the show sounded, you know, in its rhythm and hear it acted out by the performers. And uh, uh, right away, um, Michael Richards and I, you know, we hit it off. So that's, that's, I think that was key. The relationship between the two of us was key to, Mickey coming back on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And you guys did seem like you got along like on the show perfectly. Like you were always side by side, no matter what. And- yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely had a really good working relationship. Michael liked to rehearse a lot. So um, on a sitcom, when you're on a show like that, you know, you rehearse your scenes and then let the other actors rehearse their scenes. Mm-hmm. And then you go, you go wait in the, you know, the studio bleachers or you go back to your, your dressing room or whatever. Uh, but I always hung out and Michael would always grab me and say, Hey, you want to rehearse for a little bit? So we would go find another corner of the soundstage and work our stuff out together. So I think it built um, a great connection between the two of us because of his work ethic. Nice. Did you find yeah. yourself like able to relate to Mickey in all of the situations or? Uh, well, you know, that the first episode I did was called the stand in and that was, um, you know, that was indicative of the culture uh, for little people in, in show business and very much a reality where little people would stand in for, for kid actors because children can only be on the set for a certain number of, of hours. And so a lot of times, um, you know, you hire the adult little person to come in and, and do, say, off camera while the child has gone off to school because, you know, during the week when you're shooting, it's the kid's underage, he's still in school, so he has to go to school and sit with the teacher while the little person uh, stand-in performers would 
act out all the scenes, and then when they're ready to shoot, they bring the little kid in and, and shoot the scene. So it was a there's a very large population of little people that do that kind of work in show business. And and I had been somebody who very early on in my career discovered that and had I'd worked on some strange uh, uh, horror movie called Servants of Twilight or something like that, where I was a stand-in for the little kid. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Now that brings me to a very good topic that you actually I'm seeing comments. Am I seeing comments appear on the yes, screen? You are. I'm seeing? Yes, you are. You've got people praising you. Oh, well, and thank you, Junius. Yep, even a great buddy of mine. Great story. Yeah. So you helped me tremendously because my senior thesis back in 2018 was dwarfism in the media. Yeah, just showing how how little people yeah. are portrayed in this, you know, in TV today. Whether right. shows like uh, Little People, Big World, and The Little Couple that have a chance of showing day to day life or somewhat of day to day right. life. And compared to TV shows like on MTV that show us being used as stunts as being like, you know, yeah, yeah. Room or, you know, doing something that, and, it, and that's really how I think a lot of people today get their knowledge about dwarfism. I think, I think when I was younger, I, I earlier on in my career, I, I did pass judgment on, mm-hmm. on a lot of people that were doing things that I definitely would find objectionable. Um, mm-hmm. And there's certain things that I, you know, would talk to my colleagues about, you know, saying, well, you know, why would you do that? Don't do this or don't do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, every, everybody's story is different. Um, uh, Vern Troyer, for example, um, he's a great guy. And his his experience, his life experience is completely different from mine. I mean, Vern was a, a much tinier person. I'm, you know, four, four foot tall on a good day. And mm-hmm. Vern was, you know, he was, you know, between two and three feet. I think he was like two foot six or something like that. He was not a very tall person. And his his existence was grossly different from my own. Um, and so there are certain things that he did that I could not find myself doing. And I think through his life experience, he felt more comfortable with certain things than I did. Um, I, I don't know that, I don't know that he was always happy with some of the choices that he made. Uh, but you know he had a he had a good long career. Um, may he rest in peace. Absolutely. And uh, I think um, I think as I've matured too, I've I've looked at I've looked at the business for little people in a different way because I've also noticed how you know for elf rolls, for example, they or seven dwarfs we'll call that another mm-hmm. example. Um, they'll use average sized people and shrink them down. So when I started to see jobs being taken away from little people and, and other people um, being able to interpret our life the way they saw fit, not experiencing what we experience. I found that more objectionable than actually playing those roles. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I felt like we we should have first crack at all of that sort of stuff and not give over to um, this idea that we're, we're some other, we're some secondary go-to. You know, um, so I found that more objectionable than than putting on some glued ears. You know, yeah, most definitely. So I almost felt like I almost felt like I had to do that to make sure that um, that little people weren't losing jobs, to make sure that we were acknowledged as a go-to for that. And and you know, to to that end, recently I I played a character which is you know it's a it was a smaller character, but it had nothing to do with 
dwarfism per se, but I was um, I was a pig on uh, this show called Legacies, uh, which aired in March or April, I think, of this year. I've just just finished shooting it right before the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. and so it aired during the pandemic, and it was a great character, you know, very very multi-dimensional and and uh, but it, it had nothing to do with you know dwarfism per se it was a costumed makeup character and the idea of of a lot of that kind of work going away from little people um just because of the way little people are viewed i found that very objectionable mm-hmm. we've got a question from the audience do you think little people will get less roles now because of say insurance purposes well i i think that little people have a a leg up on that because I think largely they're not seen as members of the disability community in a lot of ways. Cause I know a, a lot of, a lot of folks um, that I've worked with don't necessarily consider themselves having a disability uh, even though they're little people. Um, it, the, the fact that, that we have dwarfism doesn't necessarily make us higher risk. I, I assume you're referring to um, uh, COVID or coronavirus uh, risks not all little people, I think, are, are higher risk because of our dwarfism. Mm-hmm. Um, some that have respiratory issues, obviously, or or perhaps sinus cavity issues, maybe higher risk. I don't know all the ins and outs of the more than 200 forms of dwarfism. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can, you know, hazard a guess for a couple of reasons, but um, I have never passed an insurance physical for a film. I mean, ne- never not passed. I've always passed them. So it's, it's never been like, you know, he's a higher risk and, and, you know, films are willing to ensure, uh, drug, drug users, you know, people that have used drugs for a long time and that, and they're well aware that they've been drug users for a long time, but they still, you know, they'll still, uh, ensure the film. So, uh, insurance purposes, I don't know. I mean, they're, the other thing about it is the industry is making people sign waivers. So I don't know that there's really any, any liability if we all sign these waivers so that we can work. Mm-hmm. So it's not something I have had the experience of, of doing yet. So we'll see, we'll see what yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. Now, one question I have for you is, um, have you ever gotten handed a script before that you've taken one read through and just have been like, you know, off the bat, this is, like intentionally I've gotten to like page page 12 and like thrown scripts across the room. So mm-hmm. yes, I have, I have gotten to the point where like, there's no way in hell I'm doing this. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen plenty of those kinds of scripts where they just completely dehumanizing and, and very mm-hmm. specific, I think to little people, men, how little people men are regarded as, you know, overtly sexualized and sort of deviant and, you know, going under skirts and that sort of thing. I, to this day, I have like old friends from high school talking to me about about things I supposedly did when I was in school about when I would go up the stairs and look up girls' skirts, and I was like, "Yeah, my elevator was forced. My my school was four stories high, so I used the elevator. So that never happened. I yeah. was never on the stairwell. So this little fantasy that you created about me was completely in your mind. Mm-hmm. But that's that's sort of indicative of of the way people see little people men a lot mm-hmm. as these sort of deviant sexual beings or they animalize, you know, they make us, they make us sort of animalistic by nature. Like I, I had a, 
like we're dogs who want to grab on to yeah, you. Like, yeah, you know, pat you on the head or, you know, they want you to, I've been asked to bite people numerous times uh, in, in like fight sequences, you know, like, hey, uh, why don't you come up and bite him on the ass? And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. No. Oh, no, no. Mm-hmm. So there's been, you know, some of those kinds of experiences that I've, I've had to sort of, mm-hmm. you know, convince the powers that be that this is not appropriate. Um, and like I said, I've gotten a number of those scripts over the years that, uh, that I found objectionable. But a lot of times I can, I can just make adaptions to them and talk to producers and writers and say, can we change this? Can we do this? Can we say this a different way? You know, um, doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does. Most definitely. So how do you, how do you see dwarfism in the media today? Like, what are your thoughts and opinions on, like, as reviewed in movies and TV shows? A few years back, I mean, we're going back a few years now, back when Roger Ebert was alive. Mm-hmm. He had reviewed a film that I was in called Death to Mochi, and he didn't care for the film. Um, it's has since become like a cult classic. Everybody reaches out to me and says, you know, oh, this is one of my favorite films. Um, but when it came out, it just did not do well. It was, you know, blasted by a lot of the critics and Roger Ebert among them. He said he went and made a, li- a, a laundry list of, of everything he felt was negative about it. And then at the end of his list, it said, and on top of that, it has midgets. And I was just like, that posing that as the as a as a reason to hate a film, I found that incredibly objectionable. Because if you had said, on top of that, it was filled with Mexicans, you know, <laughs> why is that the objectionable thing to look yeah. at? So I wrote him a note, and uh, I said, look, you know, you can critique my acting or any of our acting. You can find some of the things that we're doing uh, worthy of critique. But you can't critique us as a people uh, and and call us in this derogatory term. Uh, and he engaged with me, and we had a back and forth. Um, and uh, I changed his way of thinking in that in that engagement. And he took that email chain and he said, "Look, I want to post this on my website. This correspondence that we've had." And I said, "By all means." So Roger took our our back and forth emails and put them together and put them up on his website. And I think to this day, you can find that exchange uh, regarding that critique. And mm-hmm. he, he had swore at that time that he would, you know, X, X that word from his vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So. I know a bunch of friends that have used it for me, like for the first time, just not knowing about it, not knowing that it's offensive, but like they heard it, that's because they heard yeah. it, they heard it in a TV I show. Think, I, in a movie. I think, I think though, because of the media, I think mm-hmm. that, that, that at this point, there really is no excuse that people know it's offensive mm-hmm. I think because of film and television. I mean, I got to say it right on Seinfeld. That's something they never, ever do. But when that first episode and George refers to little people as midgets and I correct him, I mean, that's mm-hmm. something I fought for in the script. I said, you can't just say this because it's a really offensive term and I can't just let it slide. And on a popular TV show. And, Exactly, or any TV show. I've never let it slide. And um, so I said, I have to address it. And, and they said, well, we never had one of those very, very special episodes. It's not like a lesson learned kind of a show. And I go, I get that, but we have to figure out a way that I can convey that this is not cool. 
And so what they, what uh, Larry David and I came up with was this sort of immediate reaction where Mickey is going to resort to violence, right? Mm -hmm. he, he, you know, he freezes and he like loses his stuff for a second. And then he does a slow burn and turns on George Costanza to, and says, it's little people, you got that. So, and then at that moment, Michael says, Kramer says, easy, Mickey, easy. And so that, because we had that exchange about the word midget, it transformed the kind of character that Mickey was gonna become to this sort of volatile, ready to snap, ready to lose his stuff. And I found that to be sort of the pinnacle of the reasons for, for Mickey to be asked back to come back to the show because of that, that little exchange that cemented his volatility. Mm -hmm. And it all came out of needing to correct that word. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my, that was one of my most favorite scenes because like you said, that conveyed the truth that conveyed, yeah. that showed people that, you know, like I said, all it takes is for us to go, Hey, we don't, you know, we don't use that word. We don't like that word. And sometimes you have to go into depth about it. Sometimes you have to go and like how it was, you know, created in the circus. So to me, or it was coined in the circus. Right. Right. So to me, it kind of feels like you're saying step right up, step right up. Yeah. Well, it just, it's just, I, I always found the word to sort of take me uh, away from humanity, right? So it's a word that is a label that has the sole purpose of eliminating your humanity. Mm -hmm. As in, you're just a midget. You're just a midget, yeah. you know? Yes. So that, that is, that's a way to say, you're, you're not one of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the problem I've always had with the word. Yes, exactly. It's, it labels us. It tells us, like, this is who you are. We're not Danny Woodburn and Nick Swenson. We're, yeah. you know. You're some other, you're some other, you know, creature, as it were. <laughs> that, that deserves, like, the one thing, you know, like you were saying before, Vern Troyer, you know, I will say for as much as Austin, you know, the Austin Powers films kind of had that opposite effect on us because it showed him being like kicked across the room or something like that. You know, it showed him like having negative interactions with objects, stuff like that. There's right. one thing that I'll never forget. And it's in the third movie when Mike, he and Michael Caine are in a room together. And because he's like, he has arrested Michael Caine and he, Michael Caine goes down to him and goes, you know, I think it's a shame the way they treat you. Just because you're one eighth their size doesn't mean you deserve one eighth their respect, does it? That's how it should be, you know. Right. Just right. Is you know half your size just because someone is? It makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if Burn, if Burn sort of fought for that moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I hope he did. I hope I he hope did. So too. I hope so too. Which brings me to my next question. You are a huge advocate for not only dwarfism, but disabilities. Um, right. Could you explain like your views on that for our audience? Like, you know, I know we've touched well, on I it. Think it's, a, it's basically, it's basically everything I feel about, about my dwarfism, but mm -hmm. expanding beyond um, just my own medical diagnosis, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just the way, you know, thinking about how I've been treated and understanding that people with disabilities have the same, receive the same kind of treatment uh, in so many regards with regard to employment and access and opportunity um, and how society sees us. Uh, and that's directly connected to media portrayals, right? So when we see, especially when we see uh, a non-disabled person playing an able, uh, a disabled person, um, there's this 
there's the sense that the audience is let off the hook, right? Like, I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about this actor who's playing an actor in a wheelchair because I know at the end of the day, he's going to get up. He'll have both his legs. He can walk home, right? So that's sort of a, a societal feeling that we get. But when we, um, now we put that person, uh, make that person a disabled person, make a, say that character is a double amputee, as I mentioned, now mm -hmm. the actor is a double amputee. It, it brings a certain reality to the show that I think producers found disquieting. Like it's almost like they had to edit themselves now. Um, and here's a point, I have a friend who's an amputee and he's very physically active. He's a, he's a motocross guy, he does his own stunts. He, he, uh, he did a scene where he um, parachuted in to this field and uh, he lands in the field and he's doing his own stunt. And um, he, he, at the end of the stunt, his, his uh, prosthetic knee, his prosthetic leg was sweating up inside. So he, he sat down in the field and he took off his prosthetic leg. And then everybody went crazy. They're like, oh, oh, can I get you something? Do you need water? You know, everybody was very, very upset that, that they had made a mistake in hiring this guy because he had a disability and was doing these stunts and they got all nervous about it. And uh, that just impacted me um, with the sense of why, why do people all of a sudden shift when they see this other aspect is a reality, right? Why do they all of a sudden shift their perceptions of him? He mm -hmm. had just done this stunt, but now all of a sudden he's a delicate flower, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's, that's sort of indicative of the way the industry looks at disability um, when we're on screen. We don't we don't want to see the actually the disabled person portraying the disabled person. And to the other end of that, when for example, when Marley Madeline won her Academy Award, they basically told her she wasn't really acting, which is like saying to somebody who's who can walk and plays a character who can walk, oh, you're not really acting because you can walk mm -hmm. <laughs> and your character walked, right? So yeah. you have both your legs, your character has both your legs. How is that acting? You know, it, not looking at any other nuance except her disability as her completely identifying element to who she is, right? So looking at Molly Matlin's deafness and saying, that's all you are. You're just a deaf person. You're not anything else. So that's why she was critiqued uh, negatively having been nominated and won the Academy Award. Um, when it was, you know, fully deserved, obviously. So it's it's it, it it began for me in the media wanting to make these changes, you know, wanting to shift the numbers, right? So on screen we represent less than two percent of on screen roles, uh, where in society we're upwards of twenty five percent of the of the community. So how can we be understood if we're not represented? In the media, because we learn so much as a as a society from what we see on these screens, and uh, it began for me with that shift. But then also understanding that that not just seeing us on screen, but understanding that our employment wasn't important, and that those two are directly related. Us mm -hmm. on the screen and whether or not we get employed are directly related. And then seeing you know uh, friends who are writers or, or artists of any kind. And maybe they have um, government support for equipment that they need uh, or for services that they need due to their disability. 
Um, and the moment they make any kind of money above a certain threshold, they'll lose that support. So it keeps us down. Uh, we're not able to be entrepreneurial. We're not able to, able to advance. We're not able to get a raise at the, at the job we have um, if we get government services and it puts us above a threshold. All of a sudden we lose all our benefits um, for at-home services, for, for doing, you know, getting uh, special rides, you know, from uh, services, from, from getting equipment, medical equipment uh, provided by the state. You know, these, these kinds of things go away just because you've gotten a raise. So now let's say you, your raise goes up to $35,000 a year, which is really not much to live on, but that puts you above a threshold. And now you've got to kick back after you lose your $15,000 worth of benefits that you're getting and equipment and other services. You've got to give that back out of your income because you've lost that, that, other, uh, that other supply of services. So you've got to kick it back and, and pay for it yourself, which brings you back down below what you were making before the raise. So we just have to, we all have to advocate for one another in that sense to, to have a greater understanding of what our struggle is and connect on a bigger level. So yes, I think it's important for the little people community to connect, but I also think it's important for us to connect on a broader level with, with the entire disabled community. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now I have a question from the audience that ties into my next question for you. Mm -hmm. the member asked, do you think the M word will ever fall into any other like category or like will be on the same level as say the N word? I, I think I think for us, the M word has a similar meaning. Um, the experiences of, of people, uh, of, of black people and that word is, is vastly different uh, than experiences that we've had. But at the same time, I also look at things like um, the Nazi Germany uh, action T4, uh, which was the, which was Hitler's action to exterminate people with disability first and foremost. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> anybody that didn't fit the Aryan race mold was to be exterminated. And so we were on that list. So little people were on that list. We were first to be experimented on by Dr. Mengele. So these kinds of things we have to understand in our history, there's a crossover to the black community. Mm -hmm. Clearly we don't share, we don't share a history in that regard, but we have similar crossover kinds of experiences. And so for us, the M word can feel like that. And mm -hmm. I feel like that. Um, I, I am, I am careful not to use it, uh, in, in public with anybody other than a couple of other little people, you know, in the same regard that the N word might be used. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> You know, I would never just use it willy nilly. I know some people will use it willy nilly, just mm -hmm. you know, on a set, make a joke, and and refer to all of us in that regard, and and that would always bother me. But if I'm just with my circle of friends and I use the word to make a point about something, then then it's it's less impactful in that sense, in that mm -hmm. negative sense. Mm -hmm. So my next question would be: You see, like you're mentioning all this. <clears throat> advocating against the M word or, you know, advocating for people with disabilities who should be treated as equals. In the world today, do you see this in a positive sense or a negative sense? Like, do you think we're going forward with progress or do you see a ton of setbacks that lead to a bunch of challenges that we have to push through? Well, I think the setbacks are evident right now with the current administration. 
and the way the way they regard disability education and disability healthcare, um, and the way the president himself has mocked disability. So I think that is uh, that is if we if we elect somebody like that uh, for another four years, it's definitely going to be a setback for all people with disabilities because it's already begun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but generally, as a society, I think we're moving forward just because we have we have social media on our side. You know, there has been no greater advocate, I think, for the disabled community than the ability to use social media. Um, it helps it helps get the word out to uh, understand. For example, um, the, the latest uh, the latest RNC convention exploit was to uh, bring out a congressional um, candidate who was a wheelchair user. And he yeah. made the point that that he, he would stand, you know, stand, he can stand for the flag, which is a very ableist perspective on disability. Um, so that that says to me the idea that, oh, if I can't stand, am I less of an American if I can't stand for the flag? Um, so I find I found that use of that man in a wheelchair to be ableist and exploitative and have no no understanding whatsoever of the disability community at large. Mm-hmm. So with, with that in mind, that kind of mentality regarding disability is ingrained in the Republican platform right now. Maybe it hasn't always been, but right now it is. So that to me is, is frightening. Yes, very, very. I completely agree with you on that. I don't talk politics much on the show, but the moment he mocked. I don't usually go on that tangent either, but when we're talking about, you know, the progress of us as a exactly. society, exactly. I have to refer to it. Exactly. And I'll be honest, the moment I saw him mock someone, it, it's my biggest pet peeve in life when someone is mocked for something that they have no control over. Like when they have, you know, like when people are like us are laughed at because of our height. We can't, I tell people all the time, we can't wake up tomorrow and go, today, I'm going to be five foot nine. Snap my fingers get out of bed and hey, we're five foot nine, you know, like there's, yeah. no, there's no ability to do that. There's no like, sure. There's like, um, I think it's called limb, limb lengthening, lengthening, but right. at the same time I've heard that's very, you need to put yourself through that torture. I think yeah. the, the, the point is here is to, is to, um, I think his philosophy in life is to ignore the idiots. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm going to ask you three more questions real quick. The, well, I'm gonna have to ask you to make it one more, okay. <laughs> if you don't mind, unless they're quick. Yeah, yeah. The um, I guess I'll go to my, the I call it the ultimate buddy cast buddy question, which okay. is what is your advice to anyone who wants to advocate for something, who has something, and I mean something strong, like it's like you advocating for disabilities, right? Not just advocating. Hey, you know, find out what. Find what your passion is, right? So, what what do you what really means something to you? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, and then find people who share that passion and learn about what it is that that the group as a whole wants. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is the best way to be an advocate, you know, because you you want to you. I mean, every day in the disability community, I learned something new. I learned something new from the people I meet and and things that I never thought about before uh, that are important to this community. And and language is constantly changing. So understand how to communicate with the with the people that you're that you're advocating for. Uh, 
that we live in a in an era where language is very important. So don't just make assumptions before you begin your advocacy and and um, ingratiate yourself into that community so that you are a welcome advocate in that sense. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, thank you so much for being a buddy here on Bodycast. It's always important, especially in today's world, to be a buddy on in this world. So thank you so much for being on the show. Greatly appreciate it. And um, I I wish you the best of luck. Hopefully we get to talk in October during Dwarfism Awareness Month. I'm, yeah. I'm officially a buddy, I guess, at this point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. all right. For all my buddies out there, this is my good pal, Danny Woodburn. Thank you again for everything. And as, I always, end, as I always end my shows, go be someone's buddy today. We'll catch you next time here on BuddyCast.